When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. After the drama of the last few weeks, which has been really exciting, we're all coming down to earth now. And so is Boris Johnson, it seems. Uh, but obviously we're talking cricket today and particularly we're talking cricket balls because they've been very much a talking point. Actually, they've been a, a thing that's been smashed around the place quite a lot over the last few days. So I wouldn't want to be a cricket ball, actually, over the, the last uh, couple of test matches, the way England have treated it. But today we've got our special guest, uh, a man actually who's been on our, our podcast before, who's very much at the centre of the whole ball story because he makes them. So this is Dilip Jajodia, who's the owner of Duke's Cricket Balls, based in Walthamstow. Uh, sad to say, Dilip, that uh, you just told me this morning that uh, added to all the kind of issues that have been causing for, for the balls this summer, you've now got COVID as well, so you can't even go to work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, Simon. Well, good morning. and Not such a good morning for you, obviously, but, but thank you for, for, for being with us. So just, just starting off, tell us the process of how a, a test match cricket ball is manufactured, you know, from from getting the leather to to the finished product? Well, uh, I'll try my, my best, Simon. I mean, obviously, uh, the cricket ball is made out of raw materials and then it's put together by skilled craftsmen. So there are lots of areas which all have to gel together to get that perfect ball at the end of it all. So if you go back to the beginning, it's the sourcing of the leather and even down to the actual breed of cow, if you like, right? So that certain cow's leather is better than others. So we are very fussy. We try and get the very best leather and that's absolutely key. So we start that and then there's the uh, tanning process, the dyeing process and all those things that go on 
until the leather arrives in a form that can be cut up into pieces and put together to, to start the journey on, on making a cricket ball. Now, you, you described the, uh, or mentioned the drama about this year. And frankly, the biggest problem with cricket balls are that you don't know you've got a problem until you use it. You know, you can't sort of make a batch of cricket balls, take them down to the nets and give them a bit of a thrashing and say, okay, this lot are okay. So we'll send them off to Jimmy Anderson to bowl with. They want a new ball. You know, so so the, the problem is that if there is a problem, it's not easy to identify. Of course, we've got protocols where we check everything. It's, you know, eyesight, hands, you know, certain machinery, pulling, pulling and tugging and all that. We do all of that. So if it passes all those tests, we carry on with the production. But unfortunately, and it, it hasn't happened to us before in any major form, is that a component fails. Now, somebody asked me, well, what's the problem? I said, I honestly can't tell you what it is. Uh, it's all integral. We're carrying on with production. We can't suddenly switch. We can't suddenly stop. You've got to carry on. And at the end of the season, we will be able to collect a lot of balls and, and analyze them and look at them and talk to the tannery and so on and try and pinpoint where the problem is. My gut feeling is that there is something wrong with the main component, which is leather. I'm not saying it is because I don't really know, but I think it is from my experience. And it may be that there's a chemical you know, uh, problem with the tanning. You see, oh, the other thing to bear in mind is it go, the, the sourcing of the leather actually goes back into the COVID era, you know, when people were furloughed and people were laid off and so on. So we don't know whether any of that affected the procedures, you know. So uh, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying this might be one of the problems. So the leather comes along. So that's the key. So, that, so we're starting, starting, let's start from the leather itself. Where, where is your leather from? The leather is from, we, the tannery is in, in Derbyshire and uh, the leather preferably comes from Angus Hides in Scotland. That's, that, that's the best that I think works. The, the, the conditions are right. The grass, you know, the atmosphere and everything else is perfect for the skin that those cows have. Is, that, is, that, is there a particular area where they come from? Well, you know, the trouble, um, Simon, these days is that it's such a competitive and, and high, high uh, value sort of market that, you know, the demands are, it's very difficult to pin down. I mean, I'd love to be able to say, right, you know, that field over there with all those cows, I want their leather when, they, when you butcher them. You know, it doesn't happen. But we have to rely on the tannery having those connections with the cattle people to try and get us the best. And they do. And more, more often than well, we not. Do you realise this is a bit like making wine? I, I've just been uh, in Burgundy, actually, on a, on a little holiday and uh, examining different uh, wine production systems. And, you know, it's amazing, actually, that they can take grapes from one bit of a field which has slightly different soil and a slightly different aspect and I, I'm sure you know many wine drinkers will know this already but you get a, a grape a, the same grape from another field or a bit of a field only 100 yards away with a slightly different soil a different aspect and it's completely different grape so or different taste so uh, it's amazing and I suppose this is the same sort of story okay so anyway you the tannery in Derbyshire sources the leather and then tans it, presumably. And then what happens? And then sends it to us. And of course, we go through all our protocols and decide that these hides. And that's another thing to mention, actually, which is important, that whilst the leather comes from the tannery, it's not just one cow. <laughs> it's several cows, you know, that have gone through the process. And the cows themselves could be different. You know, you're talking about, you know, 100 yards to produce different wine. Well, you can imagine what happens between cows, you know. So... Uh, 
but but everything is done to try and standardize as best we can uh, four bits of leather, which is the four-piece ball cut by a die. And we actually, by the way, when we cut the leather, we cut from the middle of the backbone going outwards, the strips of leather, and then we cut one, two, three, four, and put a rubber band around them so they're kept together. So we're getting as much uniformity as possible. And then it goes through to the next phase where, you know, a very skilled craftsman joins the two quarters together. And that's the process called closing. And that's the invisible stitching that goes underneath the surface backwards and forwards to hold those two quarters together. And when it's done, it forms a rather odd looking semi sort of cup. Which you've got there, haven't you? You've got some examples on, in, your, in your kitchen. Um, you know, you have to turn it inside out. It looks a bit like a bra, doesn't it? No way. Uh, but you can see the thread. I mean, I, I know that people listening to the video can't see this, but uh, very, very strong thread. And you have to have a very strong man to put those stitches through. And there are guidelines to make sure they're all in, you know, straight and done well. So then we, we turn it inside out and then it's hydraulically molded into a cup. And that's basically, I'll, I'll show it to you because I think it helps me to, to get on with the commentary. So, you know, you, you make a cup and this cup is, pretty strong. The actual thickness of the leather is also crucial. You know, it's got to be three and a half millimeters to four millimeters specifically. If it's under that, there's a weakness. If it's over that, it, it, it spoils the fitting. And the fitting, by the way, is when the cup is made. And by, when you do that stitching, there is a bit of a gap and a bit of a lump will occur. So you have to fill that. So we fill it with what we call a false quarter. You can see the contrast. Okay, so that's a chamfered piece of leather that goes in there and it's glued in so that when you actually run your finger around it, it's nice and smooth. And the outside is nice and smooth. And the join is almost invisible. So that's the perfection. So the cup has to be pretty solid. And then that's ready. It's trimmed so that you've got two uniform halves. Uh, I think that one's been glued together, actually. Here we are. Let me try and find one. Here we go. So you've got two cups. And then you've got to put the, the, the core which also, by the way, is made out of natural raw materials, cork and rubber and latex rubber. So that's got to be put into an oven. It's got to be cooked, if you like, and that's got to be specific humidity and specific heat for a specific amount of time. All that's very important. Now, if something slightly goes wrong, it's either overcooked or undercooked, that could be a problem. So these are, I'm mentioning all this because it's so important. People just think- You should, you should be on Bay Coffee, you realize. <laughs> <laughs> people think I press a button and these balls just fall off the end of the thing. And when I mention, I say, I'm, most people, I say to them, how long do you think it, makes to, it takes to make a cricket ball? And they kind of give me a blank look. And when I tell them it's three and a half man hours to do all these processes, they're staggered, you know. And when they complain about the price of a cricket ball, I then ask them how much they get paid an hour. And then, it, it, it you know, you can see the old penny drops, you know. And so, therefore... You've got the center now that's been, this has got a, an element of modern technology, if you like. It's put in an oven, it's controlled by temperature and so on. So that we tend to find is, is you know, almost foolproof because we also do stress tests on them, bounce tests and all sorts of things at random to make sure those batches are fine, you know. And so they have to be... Can we play with that on its own, by the way? Can you play with that cork ball on its own? Would it bounce around and, I mean, for a bit of a... Bit of fun. So just just before you go to the process of putting the cork inside the leather, so what explain what the, the, the core is again, a little in a bit more detail. Where do you get the different bits from? The core is granulated cork, 
And that is specifically, we certainly insist that it's Portuguese granulated cork. You can get cork from other parts of the world, but we find that this has, again, like my Angus hides, you know, they have the, the, the right sort of uh, texture. And then, of course, the rubber is from Malaysia. Uh, that's important. And we find the, the, these mixtures work together. And then, of course, it's a mechanical process. So that's absolutely important because if the um, granulated cork is either too fine or too lumpy, you know, these things can affect the way the thing molds. It's got to be a, a good round object. And is that done in the Walthamstow factory or somewhere else? Uh, no, we, we, we don't do that. We used to, but we have it made for us by specialists who do this sort of job. Uh, and we, of course, random check them all the time. So, you know, when people say things like, oh, the balls are going soft, right? It can't be this because this is consistent. You know, there's no way. And this is very important on the way it feels on the bat. And there's always been people you talk to about Duke's balls. They will tell you that there's a feel and a sound that Duke's balls give off. I agree with that. In my view, I think that the fact they've been complaining about softness is about the tension of, and I'll, we'll go through that in a minute. If the tension of a cricket ball goes, it'll, it'll sound and feel soft. So that's it. So this is very important. Then the next thing is we've got the two cups, which are pretty solid and robust. And then we've got the center, which we are now satisfied with. So now the next thing is called fitting. So you've got to make sure that the actual um, the quarters, the, the two halves and the center fit together rather well. And that's what it's all about. And then, of course, while we're doing this, all this has to be weighed all the time because you've got a, a tolerance. You know, you, you've only got 156 grams to 163 grams tolerance. So you can't just do this and chuck it together. You know, you'll end up with a ball that's too heavy or a ball that's too low. And even the thread, you've got to weigh that, you know, so the amount of thread that goes in. So there's this constant. This is why it takes three and a half man hours. So when we've done that with a hand stitch ball, it's put together at this stage with what's called the seam. The seam is not all the stitching that you see. It's just the middle row, the small stitches. That holds the ball together. And the, and the ball is, of course, not round now. It's just been put together. Now, with machine stitch balls, it's the other way around, where the cups are actually just machine stitched with decorative stitching, two rows on each side, and then put together, and this middle row is stitched to put, hold the ball together. So in my view, a hand stitch ball, our ball, the stitching goes all the way through all six rows are going backwards and forwards, you know, and that's pulled. And that's why you have the tension. And is that done by hand? Actually, by hand, yeah. yeah. Apart from the centres, which I mentioned, yeah. are yeah. made sort of in a modern way, everything else is totally traditional, all done by hand. Very important. And, and where is that, that sort of final bit of stitching done? Well, that's done in the subcontinent. We have, you know, partners in, in uh, subcontinental countries and, you know, working under exactly, and they work exclusively for us, and that's, you know, very, very strictly controlled. And these days, because of Zoom and WhatsApp and whatever else, I'm on the case all the time, you know, so I'm actually in the factory. <laughs> so I, I, I know exactly what goes on. So there's no way that there'd be any problem there. So, so therefore, we've now got to the seaming stage. That's complete. And then you then move on because you're checking it all the time. You then move on to the hand stitching. And I've got a pink ball here, by the way. Uh, so now you've got the stitching going from one end to the So you've got a bit of a ridge going round the top of the ball, uh, which is the seam, and now you've, got a, you, that, that, that now you've got a stitch almost at right angles to that seam. Correct, yes, that's going backwards and forwards. So that goes all the way around. 
So when that's finished, the ball is actually not in shape, right? It's like Saturn's rings, if you like. Here we got the run. So you then have to push it by a process called milling. But before that, you have to stamp and lamp the ball with grease because our balls, English balls, are greased. You know, they're not with artificial substance. That's to stop the water getting in, right? That's right. So they start like this, pretty light in colour. And then when you apply the grease, it starts turning. Look at the contrast. It's the same kind so of... You've got a pink one on your, in, on your right hand and, and a much darker red one on your uh, left hand, which is more sort of burgundy colour, isn't it? And you won't believe it's the same leather. You know, that's only changed colour because of the grease going into it. And if this is a bit darker to start with, that ends up almost black. You know, so you got, and, and also the rather mysterious thing is that you might put 20 hides into a drum and dye them all that color. And then when you put the grease into them, they come out different colors. You know, so it's, it's one of these things. So some colors make up the, you know, the fibers and so on. They absorb more grease, it goes darker. So we have to have this challenge of sorting all this out. You know, so we get orders from Northern League saying, we'd like the order, you know, 300 dark, underlined three times balls, you know. <laughs> I can't suddenly produce 300 balls just like that. I've got to select them as we go along. So, so we get to that point. So this is it. Now you've got a, a ball here that's been greased and then it's been stitched. And, and that, that's, you can see that's beautiful hand stitching and that's going all the way through. And then we've now got to mill it, which goes in for pressing. And, that, and that's all I remember seeing the, the mill in your... Uh, factory and it, it looks a bit like a massive egg timer or something i mean it's like a big press which forces the pressure onto the ball to make it round yeah that's right and then when you do that you put the ball in and then the amount of pressure you put in, that's that's something else that you learn and it becomes something in your genes the amount of pressure you know i mean you feel that you can't put a machine on it you know so the guys doing this job including me i do, I do quite a lot of it i'm doing it and i feel that i need to do a bit more you know, and, and that's the skill. And then you take it out and you turn it. So you've got it on the on the quarter seams upright and then you turn it onto perpendicular. So we, we, we do that. And then when it comes out, that's the shape of a cricket ball. And the reason a hand-stitched ball is good for cricket is that it does provide that uh, rudder. Yeah. So you've then got a raised area. And of course, you've got stitching underneath. So when you hit the deck, for you know, people don't realise 80 overs is a lot of hammer, you know. So... If, it's, if these two outer rows are just machine stitched, they get flattened, you know, uh, and then the ball has got nothing. Mm. So at the end of the day, this is, I think, in my view, the, the best ball for good quality cricket, international cricket, county cricket, Premier League cricket. You know, machine stitched balls, in my view, shouldn't be used. And they're using it in the one day, one day matches. And that's why the scores are, what, 400 and something they scored the other day. Yeah, you know, 98. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, bowlers will give up and they'll put a bowling machine out there for them to hit. You know, I mean, it's just really crazy. So, and then, of course, we further, you might have seen in the factory, lamping and so on, before so we that, apply. So, that, that, so that's a man that's uh, sitting by a naked flame, yeah. basically heating the wax onto the ball, the, the grease onto the ball and putting right. it that's sort of so that it is absorbed. Is that, is that how it right. works? That's right. It, it gets absorbed. And then, of course, uh, the superficial shellac polish is put on, which gives it a nice shine. But that comes off very quickly, as you know. You know, you you you've used it in your career. But then the key is because that grease is in there and has gone into the pores, if you like, of the leather. You then can shine it mm. and and work on one side. In the old days, it was saliva and allegations of sweets and all that. But you can still put sweat and get the same effect. 
And But the key is that, in my view, the shine has achieved leather against another natural raw material, trousers made of, say, in the old days, it used to be worsted trousers, weren't they? The old trousers uh, or cotton. But polyester, which is what everybody wears now, all these modern kits are all polyester. And that doesn't shine the ball. And I, and I watch Joe Root rubbing away on his sleeve, you know, in a way, he's wasting his time. He really ought to put a towel down his, into his trousers as the famous bowlers like Malcolm Marshall, he always had a towel. Angus Fraser, I can remember, always had a towel. And that's just such a simple thing. And that'll assist because, you know, bowlers are struggling. And of course, the problem now is if they don't get wickets after about 10 overs, they want to change the ball. You know, and they, they go up to the umpire. Uh, and they're not working on the ball enough. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So you must find it exasperating this summer, given the, the painstaking way in which you put these balls together over years and years. And I know you've been doing it, you know, a long time now. It must be, it must be really frustrating and, and almost quite sad for you, actually, to see now the ball being changed every... I don't know, 20 overs and the umpire's constantly trying to put it through that ring and sometimes it goes through and sometimes it don't and the bowler's all looking a little bit uh, hapless and forlorn. I mean, how does that make you feel? Not good, you know. But for me, no comment about the ball is actually the best achievement. You know, you don't want them to talk about the ball. You know, the ball should be part and parcel of the game and, you know, that should be it. Did it ever worry you that... Uh, the ball was almost doing too much some years in test cricket and even county cricket. Yeah, well, you see, uh, again, um, for instance, there is a theory that darker balls uh, do more. And that's why I said to you, I get some orders from leagues which underline dark three times because they perceive darker balls. And it may be that there's more grease in the leather, you know, that that particular hide has taken in more grease and therefore they can get more shine, you know? So these are all the little subtleties that apply to it. And, you know, we have had conversations with the ECB. They are our, our, our biggest customer. And, you know, they have, we have conversations and they, they sort of feel, you know, the balls are getting a bit too dark. You know, can we make them a bit lighter? And, you know, the stitches are a little too prominent. Uh, and within the, the laws, of course, we can make small adjustments. But what we can't do is to make radical changes. You know, there is a standard. We make the balls to a standard. So when people say things like they've gone soft or they sound, you know, to a certain extent, that's all irrelevant stuff unless there's a major technical problem. Now, having shown you the various uh, aspects of the production, uh, if there's something wrong with that leather, 
you know, that the fibers of the leather have got, has got something technically wrong with it. It's not holding together because the fibers are invisible, you know, so if, if something, and now I had a, I'm talk, talking probably 25 years ago, uh, pretty long time ago, uh, there was a similar sort of problem. And the investigation then told us that there's a thing called fat liquor, which is put into the final tanning process which gives the leather some pliability because when it comes out, I've got a piece here actually, comes out like cardboard, you know, solid piece. You can't work on that. That is too hard. You know, that's, that's impossible to put into a mold. So there's a thing called, and a very specific level of fat liquor has to be added to the, to the mix. And a very small difference in that, either under or over, could affect the way the leather actually behaves. But having said all that, no two cars are the same. <laughs> so, you know, this is the complexity, you know, so it, it may be, and this is a, this is just a guess on my part, you know, we, we were asked to make the balls a little lighter. Uh, lighter in colour, you mean? In colour, yes, in colour. And so we, you know, discuss it. And that means that is made a little bit lighter, the starting colour, so that when it comes out of the grease, it comes out lighter rather than a very, I've got a very dark one here, actually. I mean, that, that's, that's reasonably dark, but it's a fully polished one. So who knows, uh, innocent conversation about color, you know, a change, a small change could have influenced something. Uh, but my hunch is that when this particular year's leather was processed, it was the COVID interruption, you know, that people were laid off, you know, who knows how long it was in the pit, something, you know, something has gone wrong and they're, they're very nice people. I'm having conversations with them all the time. And they're distraught as I am. You know, they can't understand what this is all about. So we are investigating. And of course, like everything in life, lessons will be learned. We will, you know, you know people say, and we have to say the same. We are looking into it. But in the meantime, I can't suddenly change the process. So all I can do, and you, you've seen it, is, you know, the pressure you put on the, on the, on the, on the ball to, you know, mold it as... as hard as possible so we're doing that at the cup stage it's coming through we then get it here and we do it here and i'm personally doing that to the first class balls so that when it goes out now i think it's, the reports i'm getting is that the lot as we, we we're rationing them and sending them out in small batches to try and keep an eye on it you know yeah. and, and can then, you um can you can't get a, a a supply of last year's balls i suppose are they all used up all gone. You know, we, we don't we don't have them. I mean, we, we, once we give them to the counties, what they do with them, I don't know. You know, I don't have any. I just make you know specific number of balls because, as you as you you probably know, they're date stamped. So you know, I can't sell them. Once the date stamp's gone, that's it. <laughs> they've lost their they've lost their value. So we don't make any spares as such. We have a few left over, and they get used up in you know minor counties or whatever if they want a few. But essentially, we are doing all we can with what we've got and the reports are coming back that it is getting but they're not changing as many balls you know and i mean this test match in my view well, was really over exaggerated i mean they, 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 they change the ball after one ball you know got a replacement ball well it's usually a tactic to, because the ball's not doing anything if well, the batsmen I mean, are dominant the bowlers I mean, try to change the ball don't they i mean so i mean there is also an issue about the way you put a ball through the ring it's got to go through the ring like that, not like Saturn. Seam up. Yeah, it's got to go seam up, you know. Right. And and also, I'm wondering whether I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be talking through my head here. I'm saying, I'm sorry, but have these rings been calibrated? You know, it seems very strange to me. Uh, and where were these rings made? We supplied rings many years ago, you know, properly made uh, by 
you know, an engineering company in, in, again in Derbyshire. And uh, they, were, they were used widely by the umpires, but we haven't supplied those for years. So I don't know where these things are coming from. But it's, it's important that these things are calibrated from time to time and make it all okay. Well, look, it's 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 all a mystery, and and it, it's fascinating to hear the story. I just I want to know one thing: Have you ever had a a a, a thank you from any of the England seam bowlers like Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad for making their job easier? No, I, uh, uh, one of them described the ball as though it was made out of plasticine. Apparently, the other day, which I found rather amusing. In in, pra- in past years, I mean, you have. Look, I'm not taking away from their skill, by the way. I mean, absolutely brilliant skills. But they couldn't have done what they've achieved, I don't think, without your Duke's balls. But they've never actually acknowledged that, perhaps. Well, that's life, Simon. (laughs) That's quite a sort of... That's a humbling reply. Well, anyway, on behalf of all bowlers, I'd just like to say a personal thank you it didn't always help me, but whenever I was on in, in a good rhythm, there was no doubt uh, bowling with the Duke's ball was a great pleasure. So uh, thank you from all bowlers uh, for what you've done uh, over the years. And I hope you can find the solution. It sounds like quite a complicated business trying to unpick the very complicated business of making the balls to find out what might have gone wrong. Yeah. That's right. And I think in fairness, I haven't been thrashing about blaming all and sundry. I thought, keep your head, keep cool, because it's a problem. It's obviously a problem and we're doing our best to try and circumvent it. That's it. That's all you can do. And and work closely with our customers. And, the, you know, all the counties are wonderful. You know, we're, we're rationing them out, just making sure they've got balls for their game. And they're all cooperating very well indeed. Uh, and it's, it's, I, I guess it's it's handy to know that they trust us to keep them all going. You know, we're not letting people down. That's the main thing. Well, uh, I, I guess you've got, although there's no uh, rest, I know, for, for your business, at least I suppose you, you might have a bit of time out of the, the limelight now because it's all white ball cricket for the next six weeks or so, certainly at international level. And uh, I'm sure by the time we finish this white ball sequence of T20s and ODIs and the 100, of course. I'm sure all these bowls will be absolutely gagging to get a Duke's red ball in their hand again. And anything that moves off the straight will be an absolute joy. So, listen, thank you for your time. Get well soon. And don't stress. These things go in cycles. I'm sure it'll be all right in due course. Give you a bit of good news before you go. And that is that they used the Duke's ball in the women's test match for the first time. And they swung and it, didn't they? With, with, with universal acclaim. So I'm, I'm, that cheered me up because I've been trying to get them to do that for years and they finally discovered that there is a big difference. And so hopefully we've got them to use Dukes now going forward. Very good. Well, it's a shame, actually. Of course, that game was uh, was washed out because that could have been an interesting conclusion. But I remember, you know, there was a lot of uh, swing swing bowling in that game and it was, it was good to watch. Anyway... Dilip, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we'll, we won't stop you from your important work anymore. So thank you very much and good luck. Great pleasure and thank you for having me on. Thanks, Simon. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.